Boom, put boom, 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 not too much. How are you, Brooke? I'm great. I'm great. So I'm in the new digs, finally. <sighs> it's You know what? It was only but like... Finally? <laughs> it's been like 10 days. I know. That's what I was about to say. I know it's only been like... <laughs> it's only... We were in the hotel for two weeks. Um, so like two... Like literally been here two and a half weeks, right? And I'm saying yeah. finally, like we've been here like four years. But... And I, like, I just... I I finally unpacked one of my last boxes that I've been in for 13 months. (laughs) That's a finally. Well, I just said to my daughter last night, I said, we've only been here four days, but it feels like it's been a month already. Like in the apartment, we've been here four days. And I was like, but it feels like it's been a month already. And she's like, I know. And we've literally been here for two and a half weeks because it's of course, as soon as I got here, I started working. So, because you know, who who needs the transition time? Whatever. I mean, (laughs) let's just damn the torpedoes straight on till morning. Let's go. (laughs) So, can I tell you? um, I am so super excited. Of course, I came here for a new job and it's been amazing. Everybody's been wonderful. Like, I'm so super happy. You know, uh, everything that, you know, I was promised when I, when they're like, hey, we want you to come here for this, you know, everything's come through. So, which is always great because, you know, sometimes, employers will promise you things and then they'll be like oh did you really think that was gonna happen and you know no everything's been amazing and it's kind of like dating like oh you thought I was actually six feet tall right no um so um, new kids on the block I got to do like the big new kids on the block tour announcement the other day which um I am a huge blockhead have been for Ever, have been to several concerts. I've loved New Kids since you know um, when I was young, and of course they're 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 doing a tour, and they're actually going to be coming here to Lincoln in June. And I just found out that I may be doing an interview <laughs> with one of the New Kids on the Block, and I'm like trying to maintain my composure, but at the same time I'm screaming on the inside. Wait, wait, can you? hint at which one it might be or is that all like still to be a determined under wraps who's feeling the most sober that morning um no actually it would be the youngest member of the group sir mcintyre oh yeah <sighs> Mr. Blue i can't Eyes believe that I, I can almost name all of them okay go for it oh, so we got donnie jordan oh now now i'm blanking I got two. I got two out of five. That's real bad. Joey, Danny, John. Uh, 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 Joey, Danny, John, who was the tall brunette guy, and then Jordan. You said Jordan. You've named them all now. Have I? Yeah. Because the first two you said were Donnie and Jordan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you got Donnie, Danny, Jordan, John, Joey. It was such a, like, it was a Back to back, uh, back to the back to the future. What Don't you it? dare! Don't I? Uh, but, um, what's my what's your... new, new kids on the block? New kids A-K-O-T-B. on the block. Mm-hmm. And to, they were. It was such a big deal when I was in grade school, but it was more a big deal for like my surrogate big brother, who was in fifth grade when I was in second grade, mm-hmm. and because it was like a big deal that his name was Joe as well, and then 
he was a 49ers fan and Joey in some like team beat magazine also wore a 49er had a 49ers jacket and so like they were all the girls were comparing the two and so yeah. I remember that I remember that's that was like the how it mattered to me that Joe was like Joey and the gr- girls thought that Joe was pretty cool already and now he was even cooler because he was like Joey and that's the only part of it I understood as a second grader mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I hadn't heard couldn't hear the music oh I knew I, I mean like know all the songs probably still to this day have been like I said to several shows I've taken my youngest with me um and she is now an official blockhead so yeah I'm super super excited I don't like typically I'm just like eh, whatever you know it's just another interview but now I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god, oh my god. on the inside but on the outside I'll be like yeah. hey Thanks for uh, doing the interview there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, we uh, we do a lot of these interviews. I just wanted you to know it's not that big a deal. <laughs> You're just they, another interview for me, guy. <laughs> they they do put on a really good show. I got to, I worked at concessions at a uh, New Kids on the Block Backstreet Boys concert like 10 years ago on a mm-hmm. tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was from, we got paid a percentage of sales and it was a very good night. Because you, the ladies were spending a lot of money on t-shirts and hoodies and, you know, stickers and all the stuff. So it was so a very good show. Here's the thing with them. So their fans, most of them, unless they, you know, are fans like me and have brought their kids along, are fans from when they were teen girls. And now they're grown women and these are grown men. So, you know, they're going to the show, they're drinking and these grown men are taking it like Donnie. Donnie likes to take off his shirt. Donnie's pretty buff, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, they're getting drunk and they're seeing their, their teen idols who are still, you know, still looking good. And of course they're going to go shelling it out, shelling out the dollars. And there were a lot of mom daughter combinations because it was that it was new kids on the block and Backstreet Boys. So there was like this overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely a, a lot of uh, families there together, but so this is one of those serendipitous, serendipitous moments that happen sometimes where you mention something that just happens to tie in with my, with, with the A side or the, you know, like you say something on the B side that says it starts with the A side, but this is actually ties in really, really well to uh, one of uh, the people from the A side today. So oh. I have a, I have a trivia question that is about new kids on the block that I was already going to ask you. Wow that it, it now even fits even better that okay that's pretty cool that is pretty yeah. cool um i oh another thing real quick yesterday uh we got out to the movie theater here so you know back in bowling green i had the regal unlimited which you know go any mo- you know you pay 20 bucks a month and you go see as many movies as you want well they don't have mm-hmm. that here but um on tuesdays they do like five dollar movies and then the theater that we went to is so nice they've got the like reclining seats which i always think is pretty cool because we didn't have that um the leather reclining seats and then they have a lounge that you can go into before after the movie and then uh they also have food and you can order food and they will bring it to your seat to your seat yeah to your that's seat nice. i know i thought that's pretty amazing yeah it, it, I mean, I used to work 20 years ago, I used to work at a cinema cafe, which was like a full on restaurant with tables with like tables and stuff in a movie theater. 
And that was always an interesting adventure, but this sounds a little bit more functional. They just like bring it right to you. Yeah. So we didn't do that yesterday. Yesterday they did like, like I said, it was a $5 movie and then you get like a compliment, complimentary small bag of popcorn, which was pretty cool. And um, so we did that, but we plan to go back and like, they even have the gluten-free pizza, which is like, what? So we're going to go back and and do the whole thing, order it, have them bring it to our seat. I'm going to get the gluten-free and my daughter is going to, you know, just get regular pizza and we're just going to, we're going to live it up. And was was it seemingly like back, like back to normal? Like you go to the concession stand and all the lines are open and like it. Yeah. Or what? Yeah, it is. And then um, you can still order on the app if you choose. Um, But yeah, the concession stands are open, you know, masks, of course, you still have to wear your masks. Um, But everything was seemingly back to normal. And and we finally, I finally, she had already seen it, but I finally got to see Shang-Chi. Oh, what'd you think? Oh, my gosh. That is, that is one of the best Marvel movies I have seen. Not just in a long time, but period, point blank. That is one of the best Marvel movies they've made. I really, really enjoyed it. I, and I, when I saw it the second time, I like saw new things that I hadn't seen the first time. And I'm excited to, uh, to once it hits Disney Plus, like this, this month, Black Widow hits, it, hits Disney Plus mm-hmm. streaming. So I'm just going to probably watch that like five times to see new things I, I missed with the two two times I saw it in the theater mm-hmm. but uh yeah it'll be it'll be definitely a constant watching uh of Shang-Chi when it gets on there yeah it was so good and like of course you know everybody's like oh it's great it's great and you know, I'm like yeah mom, whatever you know how you're the same way somebody tells you it's gonna be great because I've told you about shows and you're like um yeah I'm gonna watch it so I was just like yeah okay it's gonna be good great yeah Marvel is known for good movies whoop de doo but no this was awesome and it was different too it's like yes. just a lot of the same stuff like same marvel notes but totally different as well which that's always fun yeah and like can i just tell you the costumes and the imagery and the way it was shot is so beautiful because i feel like finally we're we're we're, we're staying true to cultures and you know it wasn't it wasn't a whitewashed version of a, a culture um, yeah you know, it, it wasn't iron fist which i think marvel has hopefully learned their lesson with iron fist and iron mm-hmm. fist was created in a very different era you know but it it's so problematic and hopefully that it's one of those things that they'll avoid in the future yeah yeah so besides working and catching a couple of uh, well catching that movie and <laughs> unpacking constantly yeah. that's yeah, been my, just, that's been just my moving your whole life out of storage from you know moving from the home of two weeks at the hotel to <laughs> renting a place and moving all the way in it's like really what have you been doing <laughs> i mean gosh can you do something with uh, your life gee yeah <laughs> where what have you been spending your hours on What'd you do this week? Uh, I've been working and uh, ever since I got my HBO Go Max thing figured out and then now have the app, I have been watching movies like crazy, just rewatching stuff uh, that actually led to the A-side again this week. Uh, but like in the last week alone, I've wa- rewatched uh, all of the diehards and I rewatched The Mummy, which I hadn't seen in forever. Uh, but do you know what? One thing I 
did not notice when I first, I, I remember seeing the mummy in the theaters back in what, 99, 2000, whenever it came out, there's like one woman's part in the entire movie. Really? Like Rachel White, I mean, there may be women in background scenes, but I think she might be the only woman that has a spoken line in the entire movie. Wow. Which never, you know, never noticed that before. I mean, maybe there might be like another, you know, like some small you know, extra or somebody if, if, you know, somebody wants to double check them all, but there are no like supporting characters that are women other, you know, than her. And, she, and she's like one of the stars, but it's just kind of not something I noticed 20 years ago, but really stood out this time. It's like, wow, this is, I mean, granted it was, you know, in, it's take place in like the 1930s, but still like it wasn't 25 men to one woman in, in society. So, right. But that, that's, that one holds up always a lot of fun. Uh, I rewatched, I've been rewatching a lot of uh, Dwayne Johnson movies, the rock. Cause I think I like, I started one and then I just kept showing like suggesting more and more of them. So the second uh, the journey to Forbidden Island. So the second of the Jules Verne inspired uh, movies. The first one was Journey to the Center of the Earth with uh, Brendan uh, Fraser as sort of the uh, lead character. And then the second one, it goes to the Forbidden Island. Uh, it's got The Rock. And then I watched Rampage, which was not as bad as I expected for a movie based off of a video game. Mm -hmm. uh, and that also will impact the, the A side today. Am I going first or second? You are going first this week. I'm going first. Excellent. Good. Because I'm excited to talk about it. And I was like, I feel like I keep previewing it, but then I'm going to have to like, wait. Uh, but yeah, it was based off of the old school side scroller video game where you've got these monsters that are destroying things. And uh, it's got a giant monkey and a giant like crocodile and a giant wolf. And uh, it was actually more enjoyable than I expected. Uh, <laughs> and there was which feels really weird. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Anderson has like a, uh, is it Jeffrey Dean? Yeah, it's Jeffrey Dean Anderson, right? He's on. You mean the uh, Walking Dead, Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Gosh, I was like, that, that's not right. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, yeah, who was on The Walking Dead, who was. Dean uh, Anderson on... was um, MacGyver? No, that was, yeah, Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean MacGyver. Anderson, yeah. That's right. That's where I was. I was combining the two. Which that'd be a really interesting amalgam of a human. You know, <laughs> Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Richard Dean Anderson. I can, I can, see, I can see that working. They're both ruggedly handsome. Right. You know, I, yeah, I can see that happening. Uh, he's in it, just one of these like over the top characters. Uh, and you could tell he's just having like a really fun time. Uh, and so that's fun. And then uh, that led me to uh, another video game movie that it's a, that HBO Go suggested, uh, which led to the A-side for this week. Well, awesome. Well, I guess we need to go ahead and get you ready to jump into the A-side. All right. Oh, hey, um, Adam, before we jump into the A-side, I know I was just like, I was like, hey, you ready to jump in? I just, I just forgot, since we are a true crime podcast, we do need to talk about the fact that they have identified or they truly believe they have identified the Zodiac Killer. Oh, really? Because mm -hmm. I saw something something uh trending on twitter i think it was either today or yesterday and i, I just assumed it was everyone saying that it was ted cruz again because that was <laughs> that was like the twitter thing for like an entire year 
Yeah. Um, they actually believe that it was a man named Gary Francis Post, which those three names, those three yeah. names. I'm telling you, you three names. But weary. I feel like like they only use three names when like I've I've got a middle name, you've got a middle name. True. Like I feel like they would if I was like if and this is not going to happen. Uh, so CIA that is listening to this podcast, do not worry. But if I like assassinated the president or I was a serial killer, then they would use my middle name for some reason. But if like I was the victim of an assassination or the victim of a serial killer, they wouldn't use my middle name. You're just Adam. I'm just, just Adam Weingarten. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know why, like, I feel like I shouldn't say my middle name, <laughs> which is, it's, it's that weird thing. Like, everyone's oddly protective of their middle name aren't we like it was like the whole thing as a kid like people guess your middle name yes it's like, yeah 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 it's yeah. like we're like knowing someone's full name is going to give you power over them or something and i guess in a way it does because when <laughs> someone of. uses your middle name you know you're in trouble oh that's true like when i say my 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 kids when they were growing up if i especially if i just use the middle one like i know a lot of parents use first and middle but if i just use the middle one you it was it was deep trouble yeah that's interesting yeah but But, three names so yeah so so gary gary francis post uh it turns out he died in 2018 so yeah no justice for what he could the crimes that he committed but they also believe him to be responsible for a crime that he wasn't uh considered responsible for either so they have linked him with another murder. He was, as the Zodiac killer, he was connected to five murders, but now they're adding another murder. Um, he was active oh. between, he as the Zodiac killer, he was active between 68 and 69, but they're attributing a murder from before that, from 66 to him as well. And it, so like, and then nothing since? Apparently not. Man. Or they haven't linked anything to him, you know? So I mean, who I guess, knows? Yeah, maybe it was just a phase. I don't know if serial killing is a phase, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. But But usually, yeah, usually in our stories, if, you know, even if they stop, they they reemerge and that's when they get caught. Right. He never. If they don't get caught the first time. He never reemerged. So we don't, you know, I'm sure more details will surface about it, but they just released that they, they do feel that he is the one responsible and they had a whole task force and there's lots of reasons why they think it's him, but. And uh, in, in other true crime news, I don't know, this is like probably a couple days old, but uh, dog, the bounty hunter is on the. uh, uh, Brian Landry. Landry guy's tale. So just a matter of time before that's a TV show. Oh yeah, that's gonna be on this. Next, I mean, just a matter of time of, before he's he's caught. Next season of Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, get get a get a relaunch. Yeah, but anyway, all right. Sorry, sorry. I was no, like, no, oh, I, like we were about to jump in, and I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. But okay, so now no. it is time for the A's. Well, and then we did mention actors with three names too. So if I become a famous actor, I like Richard Dean Anderson or Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I could be Adam Dean Weingarten. There you go. Yeah. So, the, so <laughs> actors, actors get three names too. It's assassin, assassins, actors, and serial killers. You get to use all three <laughs> names. And Dean is 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 really popular. Uh, evidently, I didn't know. I like that's gonna that's gonna be my uh, my SAG name if I ever get my SAG my Screen Actor Guild card. It'll be <laughs> Adam Dean Weingarten. You heard it here first. Oh man. 
All right. So for the A side today, as I mentioned, I've been watching a lot of uh, HBO Max and look, going through old movies and just kind of letting the app uh, lead me. So I'll watch one movie and it would suggest something else. And then I'll watch, you know, next movie on the suggested list. So just kind of, you know, getting into that um, terminal velocity where it just kind of centrifugal force just takes me away and I watch, you know, six movies in one day. Uh, and, and, and Brooke, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but it feels like for the most part, and we're on episode 63, 64, 64. I'm so good at math. 64. Yeah. Obviously it's an even number because I'm going first. So 64 for the most part, I feel like the A side has been mostly positive. Uh, trying, you know, talking about movies that we've enjoyed, talking about underrated movies, even if they weren't big hits, um, mostly non-negative stuff. Mm -hmm. That's going to change today because I rewatched a movie that I had completely forgotten about and I had seen in the theaters when it came out uh, way back in 2008 and I remember why I completely forgot about it. And it is a, it has one of the most inexplicable, unexplained plot points that you can have in a movie ever that I remember. I, I do not remember any other movie that didn't even try to explain something that was so obvious and so much a part visually of the story and then just never paid it off, never even mentioned it, never even let you know what was going on and spent so much time developing it. So before we, before we lead into that part of this movie, uh, there is a trivia question that through my research into this film popped up that was connected with New Kids on the Block. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, New Kids on the Block, I know Brooke is a huge fan, so I'm going to ask her if she knew this because this was new news to me. Uh, but I feel like it's probably not as big a surprise as I was. You know, like most people would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So we mentioned uh, in the opening, all the members of New Kids on the Block, they were not the original members. In fact, there is one very famous person who was in New Kids on the Block, but left the band because they were he didn't like how uh squeaky clean their image and lyrics were mm -hmm. do you know who that might be i knew years ago and i have forgotten so uh the movie we're going to talk about today is called max Payne. it is based off of a series of very successful video games and the 2008 movie stars mark Wahlberg. That's Ooh. right. Donnie's brother. That's right. Donnie's That's right. brother. Yes. I didn't realize because I was in grade school at the time and wasn't really paying attention to the behind the scenes of the music industry as I should have been, uh, that Marky Mark, who would go, Mark Wahlberg, who would go on to be Marky Mark, was actually in the, uh, the New Kids on the Block, but then left. And his brother's success got him the Marky Mark contract and they built that whole Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch mm -hmm. just around Marky Mark. Yes. It was like a completely studio created like boy band thing and part of the reason that he left you kids on the block is that he wasn't a very good singer. Which would make it hard to be in a boy band if you're not a very good singer. Well, I mean Danny doesn't. 
I yeah. didn't say that. Yeah. I didn't say that. that. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think you you can't have two rapping members of the New Kids on the Block. <laughs> I think that would have been a bit much, but yeah. If so, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch comes along, uh, and then he becomes an actor, and along the way, he's had some really talented roles, and he is an enjoyable actor to watch. I've liked a lot of his films. Like The Italian Job is one of. A, a movie that I have rewatched many, many times. Uh, he's great in The Departed. I mean, he hasn't really had that same level of uh, critical success since, and he's definitely been more, you know, action comedy. Uh, How's your mother in them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the, the movie that gave everyone the opportunity to do bad Boston accents uh, <laughs> after they walked out of the theater. <laughs> Uh, he also was uh, originally cast in Ocean's Eleven. Uh, no, in I did Linus not know role. that. Yeah, he was cast as uh, Linus, who, who was recast as Matt Damon when he had to drop out. So uh, I love uh, Truth About Charlie with, with uh, um, uh, oh, uh, who, what's her name? Um, Truth Tandy About Newton. Charlie. Yeah, Tandy um... Newton. Okay. Uh, it is it's sort of like a romantic comedy mystery spy thing uh it you know came out in the early 2000s kind of in that same vein of like entrapment uh everyone is wearing very fancy clothes and they look ever you know, beautiful people being mysterious and you know double crosses and that sort of thing but he's he hates that movie uh, oh really? i think yeah, he says it's his worst work. I think that interview that where he said it was his worst work uh must have happened before the movie Max Payne because Max Payne uh, based off of a early 2000s uh, 2001 is the first Max Payne video game that came out was a story about a cop whose family is murdered by drug dealers then he goes on re a revenge spree of tracking them down uh, and finding the people who killed his wife and child and getting revenge and it used which was fairly uh, unique for the time the idea of bullet time, it took bullet time, which was first coined in the Matrix movies where you, in the action scenes, you'd get like the slow-mo and the camera would spin around and you'd see like the bullet, you know, trails of the bullets and those sort of things. First time that was really put into a video game. Uh, it went on to be really successfully used in like Red Dead, the Red Dead Redemption series, which is one of the first, you know, one of the best first person shooters and storylines, in my opinion, really fun mm -hmm. game if you've never played it. But Max Payne was a huge success. It was, uh, there was Max Payne 1, Max Payne 2, Max Payne 3. And then they're like, obviously, we're going to turn this into a movie. And a lot of video games don't automatically translate to a film story but this one should have been really easy to do all it is is a sort of crime noir revenge you know death wish like taken you know guy is like i'm gonna get the get people that that wronged my family it's not hard to do like grand theft auto like a john wick a, yeah like very much like a john wick and the video game in fact was inspired by the movies of john woo and the movies of john woo have definitely inspired john wick it should have been super easy to translate it from video game into movie mm -hmm. somehow and this is where sometimes people overthink things but the team that came together to make max Payne clearly overthought themselves and made it way too complicated and tried to make 
a movie that was loosely based off of a very simple plot and add just really random things in there and change stuff where they didn't need to change it. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest issue that I have, it's a beautiful movie. It's filmed very, very, you know, sort of- um, I love the poster. Yeah, it's very artistically done. It's got that sort of new crime noir feel that we had in like the Sin City movies, but without the black and white, the unnecessary black, black and white. They spend a lot of time, like it happens in winter in New York City. So there's a lot of cityscapes and snow coming down. It's just, it's a beautiful movie from that aspect. There are very highly choreographed action scenes and they've really focused on a lot of the, the, you know, they shot scenes in two different ways, like depending on the blister packs that the actors would be wearing when the, you know, in a shootout, whether, whether it be like a lot of blood or just like an impact look. And, they clearly spent a lot of time on that. And those parts work. It's a pretty movie. The The action sequences are pretty good. I mean, they're not anything to that really, you know, broke new ground mm-hmm. when they certainly could have, uh, you know, using the bullet time, which they barely used. But it's almost like after The Matrix, they didn't want to seem like they were copying The Matrix, which maybe, maybe that's why they avoided it. But they totally left the bullet time pretty much out of the movie which was such a big part of the game and a missed opportunity and then in the most inexplicable way they added a plot point that they never explained and never paid off and made absolutely no sense because it came out of nowhere and wasn't in the game so you've got a relatively decent cast you've got mark Wahlberg. Uh, relatively decent (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I would say pretty good. I mean, Milia Kunis, who this point was two years after uh, that 70s show had been done. So her movie career was just taking off. Uh, you've got, you know, character actors like Bo Bridges and Donald Logue. Um, you've got Amori in Alaska, who is another one of those guys who always seems to play a drug dealer and you recognize him right away. Uh, you've got Chris O'Donnell and what would pretty much proved to be his last movie role before he committed full-time to television mm-hmm. and has just been, been on NCIS uh, Los Angeles now for since 2009. So for the last 12 years uh, since he's made a movie. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Right. That's been a bit. Uh, it also just the, the casting was like, Hey, how many musicians slash, you know, actors can we get in the movie? So you got Ludacris in the movie playing uh, a very buttoned up internal affairs detective. And you've also got uh, one of uh, the last roles for Nelly Furtado before she went full-time in music. So it's just sort of a weird, you would have two primary uh, musicians as uh, part of the cast as well. But the film loosely takes the uh, plot from the, the, the video game. It's got a cop who's lost his family, and is out to revenge them. But one of the great things about the video game is that was explained to you in the opening of the video game. Mm-hmm. This guy lost his family. That's why he's going around killing people. It's really clear. In the movie, they decided to wait till like, I don't know, about a third of the way through the movie before they explained that part. Well, the first third of the movie, he's just this disgraced cop who now works at the dead cases file clerk office and is sort of a jerk and people get getting killed around him. And no one really knows why he's being such a jerk to everyone and why he's you know never smiling and he seems to be this just horrible like mad person all the time then halfway through the movie you're like oh this is why makes a lot of sense like why would you wait that long 
to show your main character's primary motivation. The video game right. figured it out. Show it at the beginning. Don't show it like a third to halfway through the movie. Uh, also, the entire plot and spoiler alert, you know, is about tracking down the drug dealers behind uh, Max Payne's family's murder, and they are you know drug dealers, but it's it's not you know it's a it's a fictional drug they created for the the video game. And the drug itself is a minor, you know, character. It's used in the video game and, and there are, you know, as, as a plot point, but it is not as obviously focused on in the movie. And in the movie, the when someone takes the Valkyrie, which is the, the drug, they the imagery is that after they take the drug, they start seeing these almost winged demons and shadows coming around them. And the first three murders in the movie, they make you think that a supernatural force, these demon, these winged angels, which come in and they spend a lot of money on the graphics to create these things, have come in and destroy, you know, mutilated these people, chopped them to bits. Content warning, my apology. And even pulled one guy off of a building, like pulled, you know, he was standing by a ledge and the, the, the Valkyrie's claws grab onto him and yank him and he falls off the building. Those first three mur murders, when you're watching the film, sure looks like there's supernatural forces that are involved here mm -hmm. that are, you know, we're, we're going to have to deal with, you know, somehow the devil's involved with this drug. We're going to have to deal with the devil. Maybe he's part of the drug corporation or something. Uh, there's something supernatural going on. Top CEO. Yeah. You would think that would make sense. <laughs> then it just stops. They barely talk about the demons anymore. Then the, the wings become about tattoos and a, a the idea of the Valkyrie carrying people off to whether, you know, if they died in violence, whether they would go to, to you know, the good place or the bad place. And then it comes back a little bit at the end of the movie when spoiler works, but I'm going to spoil this entire movie because I don't want you to watch it. Uh, it, is, it is free on several different streaming platforms. Do not go find them. You can pay $3.99. If you want to watch it somewhere, please don't do that. Uh, if you're thinking about doing that, send me $3.99 because it's the same. You'll get more enjoyment out of just seeing me buy a Coke than you would watching the movie. Uh, they do not pay it off. It comes back a little bit when... At one point in a very strange uh, like superhero moment, uh, the, hero, the hero Max Payne ends up having to take the drug to fight off hypothermia. And then he becomes, in the last act of the movie, basically like this <laughs> completely out of control, like unstoppable superhuman force because he's on the drug and he can trap, track everybody down. Like he's got super, like it drives everybody else crazy. But when Max takes it, he just becomes Captain America meets the Punisher meets the Predator. He's like completely invulnerable and he can shoot everybody. And he's like Neo at the end of the Matrix. I mean, obvi. obviously. So it really depends. It just, you know, it heightens what's already in you, like the super serum in, in the MCU, evidently. Uh, so they never pay off the demons that you see, they never mention them. They just show these hugely expensive creative uh, special effects creations and then just drop it and so by the end of the movie they're trying to tell you that you know it's the bad guys are the this corporation and chris o'donnell and bo bridges and uh the actual 
uh, villain from the uh, video game is Nicole Horn, but she's barely in this movie. And then I think they were setting her up for the sequel as the bad guy because she gets away scot-free and is hardly in it. Mm-hmm. But it also reeks in the fact that like whoever was making this movie had a problem with the main villain being a woman because they completely sideline her and take like one like the underlings and keep pushing them up as more important maybe they were trying to set her up as the big bad for the second film because they clearly were trying for a sequel uh, they even have like an after the credits thing which is like the world's most like this movie is not fulfilling in any way but then if you sit through the credits for the after the credits thing it's the least fulfilling after the credit scene you've ever had because they don't even say anything uh, it's just two people sitting in a diner and someone hands each other a piece of paper. It's really like, I'm like, I waited through all of the credits to see that, that, that was not worthwhile. Uh, it just sets up a sequel. Uh, At least in the MCU, you know, we get to see him eating shawarma in a restaurant. And, and it's like mentioned during the film. It's like a payoff of a joke that like they said, when this is all over, we should get shawarma. And then they do. It's like, right. oh, that's perfect. Right. This, I mean, Millie Kunis is poorly used in the movie barely used uh mark Wahlberg looks like he's having a horrible time and he is a very charming funny guy he works well in action comedies the spencer confidential that came out on netflix last year that is really funny really fun movie i mean the other guys he's really good in i mean he's he's a charming engaging sarcastic like let him say something that's remotely engaging the entire movie he just basically scowls looks like he's in a horrible mood the entire time because well half the movie we don't realize why he's in a horrible mood and when we realize why because his family got killed you understand a little bit more but it is just a really dour heavy overly like produced with the 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 visuals and the graphics and everything and you don't enjoy any of it by the time that he gets his revenge one, it took us so long to get invested that it was in revenge that we're hardly invested as an audience anyway. And there's no uplifting feeling. It's just, there's no catharsis. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I guess that was the guy now. I mean, the bad guy, that this idea of like, who's who's doing it, trying to figure out, you're not all that excited when the twist comes of who it's been the whole time. You don't feel any release when like the, you know, any victory at the end it's just kind of meh and the entire thing is exhausting in a way and i love movies i go to bad movies i Mm -hmm. am Mm -hmm. one of those people who almost feels like every movie has its time and place and its moment and you can watch a movie that everybody else hates but there are some movies that just do not have a time and a place. I mean, I guess if I was in danger of being too happy and, <laughs> and I had too much energy and I was like, man, everything is going way too well. I need to be thoroughly disappointed in something. Then I would watch Max Payne. Dang. Because the only way, the only feeling you will get at the end is complete disappointment. And then a little bit of repulsion that they thought they were going to get a sequel out of this. Uh, it did make $80 million worldwide, which that's, you know, when we compare it to, uh, uh, you know, the shadow, which made, you know, $32 million just 12 years earlier, uh, it feels like a lot, but, uh, even in 2008, that was considered a pretty, pretty subpar performance. Uh, 
and of course it had a big budget you know, everyone got paid well there were a lot of special effects that they didn't need especially for the demon that they never pay off is to explain like they don't even like they could have just gone oh hey when people take this drug they see demons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't really ever even do that they're just like oh you know yeah and they never explain like at least for the first two murders they later show that you know the main drug dealer bad guy is chopping people the bits and with a machete and so like oh okay this is why you know there were pieces everywhere where well, we thought it was the demon that was ripping everybody apart but no it's the machete but the guy who falls off the building it is filmed in such a way that he is pulled off by a demon and then dropped to the ground it wasn't like he jumped he falls backward because he's being pulled on his shoulders they never explain why that was and that clearly bothers me way more than it should so if you're looking to be thoroughly disappointed in a movie if you'd like to wonder, have I wasted an hour and a half of my time? And why did they never just dis- explain why that guy fell off a building when he clearly looks like he was pulled by a demon that doesn't exist? Then go check out Max Payne. Or you can send me $3.99 instead. Or me. I just moved. Yeah, yeah. You could just buy us a coffee. <laughs> like, if you find yourself like, I should go watch this, unless it's one of those, I'm going to watch it because it's so bad. Like there's I'm some watching perverse... this ironically. Yeah. But it's not even fun in an ironic way because it's just so meh and exhausting and unfulfilling. Uh, it is like a really, really, like if you've ever tried to make a sandwich at home that you saw at a restaurant, you're like, oh, I could make this at home. And then you tried to make it and it was like, yeah, this is why I go to restaurants. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling you're going to get. It, the cheese isn't going to be melted right bread's going to be probably burnt and you're not using the right cut of meat and he didn't even realize there was another sauce in there because that's really what tied everything together so <laughs> this is the a-side review of both adam's lunch and max Payne. but the funny thing about this whole thing to me adam i have never heard you just this vehemently dislike a movie yeah i i don't normal like usually I can find something that I like about every movie. And yes, it's, I think it's filmed very well. I mean, but that's wasted because they don't really do anything with it. It's, Mm -hmm. they spent so much time on the visuals and then like even the, the cityscapes in the snow, it's, it's pretty, but like it doesn't create any emotional investment and the choices to not give us the, his reasons for you know the his revenge or where where you know explain what's going on in his life until you know a third of the way into the movie and the whole demon you know angel valkyrie vision thing it just it just makes me very upset yeah i would say i i I can't tell at all at all i know this usually i try to keep the a side positive and light this is the dark side of the a side (laughs) i i'm very very disappointed (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I've got disappointed dad face on. And I just, you know, I'm not mad. I just, I know you can do better. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, but I, but I am mad. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't even pay for this. I, well, yeah, I'd already paid for it. Like I had an only reason I, it popped up because I watched Rampage and it said other movies based off video games. And I was like, oh yeah, Max Payne. I, I kind of remember that. Let's see what it's about. Let's rewatch it. And I was like, now I remember why I blocked this out of my memory. 
Oh my gosh. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm sweating. I'm like, uh, you got so upset. You worked up a sweat over. I worked up a sweat over my frustration with a 13 year old movie that I didn't pay for that just popped up and which was one of like 15 movies I've watched in the last seven days. Mark Wahlberg, he's coming for you. He wants his no. former $3 from back in the day back. Oh, I mean, like, and I don't even, like, I'm not even mad at Mark. It's just like, it feels like everybody in the movie was just like, what are we doing? This, this is kind of weird. Like, this is how bad, I, I rewatched this week also, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which is the second Nick Cage Ghost Rider movie. And it's not good. I mean, it's a heck of a lot better than Max Payne, but it has some serious problems. Uh, but there are redeeming parts to it. I mean, Idris Elba's in it. He's great. Uh, uh, the gentleman from uh, Rome. And oh, why do I always forget his name? Uh, he, was in, he was on Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, uh, he, uh, he was in... Oh, good. So Wikipedia evidently doesn't know me very well because I type in Rome and it tells me something about a, a city called Rome. I don't know about that. I'm looking for the TV show. Uh, what is his name? Can add it all I, I wish I could help you on this one, but I've never watched that show. So how is he not listed in like one of the top guys? I don't, I don't also, since I'm in like a complaining mode, do not like how IMDb has things set up now. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it looks is a little wonky. Conducive. It's it's like somebody was like, "Hey, I did some graphic design classes. Let's just put a lot of graphic design on here and make it harder to find information." Yeah, uh, Kieran Hines. Okay. Yeah, uh, he 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 play. He's in uh, the Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, which is not a good movie, and I th- and I enjoyed that one. So I can find a bit of good in almost any movie except not Max Payne. So what we have taken from this is, go ahead, watch Max Payne, if <laughs> yeah. you dare. If you dare, yeah. And if, and if there's somebody out there who is like, no, no, I love that movie, please tell me why. <laughs> we need your, you to uh, email us at asidebsidepodcasts at gmail.com and please tell us why you like this movie. Yeah, because maybe maybe there is an interpretation that I am missing completely, and I can be swayed. Uh, but gosh, I don't think so. After all these years, I'm gonna say no. Well, I, I had forgotten about it. I mean, who knows? Give me a couple of weeks, I might mentally block it out again. That's true, and then you'll be like, oh, yeah. and then some, and that's that's what you do. Wait a couple of weeks, and then you email us and tell <laughs> Adam why you like this movie, so that in a couple of weeks he's forgotten about it, and he's like, oh yeah, oh maybe I'll watch that movie and give it a try now that I have these, you know, points to to yeah. look forward to. Yeah, well, we'll see. I I'll be very surprised. <laughs> All right, so that's the A side. That is the A-side. I, I'm all vented out. Uh, thank you for joining me in my therapy session. So. <laughs> all right. So this week for the B-side. Last week, we had such an incredible story about, uh, unfortunately, a victim. But that victim has become like a legend. So we're going to switch gears again and go back 
to the serial killers. So this week, you may have actually heard of this serial killer. Um, her name, Dorothea Helen Gray. And you're like, hmm, Dorothea, maybe, maybe. just stick with me. So I'm Dorothea- I'm like sitting over here, like, re- like doing the initials thing, trying to think if I can, was it, was it D.H. Gray? Is that a thing I know of? No, no, no. So Dorothea was born January 9th of 1929 in Redlands, California. Her parents were uh, Trudy May, who was a sex worker. And uh, Trudy May, uh, Yance Gray, and then Jesse James Gray. And Jesse was a cotton picker. So Dorothea was the sixth of seven children. Dorothea's child, a lot of kids. That seemed to be like the thing back then, though. A lot of kids. This was like pre-minivan, too. Did you really? I'm just saying. How did they get those kids around? (laughs) Okay, so Dorothea, like I said, was the sixth of seven children. She had a really rough childhood as uh, both of her parents were alcoholic and she was often neglected and underfed and she often had to scavenge for food. And of course, on top of that, there was additional trauma that she had to face in her childhood, like her father threatening suicide multiple times in front of her and her siblings, which I can't imagine having to live with that so her father jesse died from tuberculosis in 1937 his lungs were damaged as a result of a gas attack in world war one as a result of the death of her father in 1938 her mother lost custody of all seven children the gray siblings were placed in an orphanage where unfortunately dorothea was sexually abused Her mother, Trudy May, died in a motorcycle accident at the end of that year, that same year. In 1945, at the age of 16, Dorothea escaped the orphanage and she married for the first time. So I say first, because that means there's going to be a second and a third and okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She married a soldier, 22 year old Fred McFall, who had just returned from the Pacific theater of World War II. So World War II was actually fought in several different regions, and these regions were called theaters. The battles with Japan mostly occurred in the Pacific theater, the waters and the islands of the Pacific Ocean. So Dorothea and Fred had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. Dorothea sent one daughter to live with family in Sacramento, and the other was given up for adoption. In late 1948, Fred left Dorothea after she suffered a miscarriage. Although there are also reports that he may have died from a heart attack. Oh. Sometime in the spring of 1948, Dorothea was arrested for purchasing women's accessories using forged checks in Riverside, California. She was charged and she pled guilty to two counts of forgery. She served six months and then did three years of probation. 
1952, Dorothea marries again. This time she marries a merchant seaman named Axel Brunn. Uh, Axel Brunn Johnson, actually, of San Francisco. So Dorothea creates a fake identity. She starts to go by the name Taya Singola Nayarada, and she pretended to be a Muslim of Egyptian and Israeli descent. Axel and Dorothea, for, I mean, I can't imagine why, <laughs> she's a forger and now an identity thief, they had a very troubled marriage. So because he's a seaman, of course, that means he's in the Navy out to sea a lot. Mm -hmm. Dorothea takes advantage of his frequent trips to sea by inviting other men to the home. She also gambles his money away. So she's quite the treat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Dorothea also took advantage of the time and the men by becoming a sex worker. The marriage had been noted as being extremely unhappy and uh, also violent at times. Yeesh. Side note, in an interview with Martin Coase of Sacktown Magazine, Dorothea admitted to having twin daughters who as young adults both took their lives within a week of each other. She refused to disclose the name of their father when and where they were born and how they died and the uh, when and where they were born, um, how they died, when they died, excuse me, and the circumstances of how they died. So we can assume that if this is true, she didn't raise them as she was obviously not the maternal type. She also had given up her two previous children and there's no references to these two to be found anywhere. So Dorothea was arrested in 1960 for owning and operating a brothel under the guise of a bookkeeping company in Sacramento. She was found guilty and sentenced to 90 days in Sacramento County Jail. 90 days. Yeah, the, the police caught on when all these guys kept saying they were going to see their accountant. <laughs> right. <laughs> After her conviction, Dorothea was somehow able to find work as a nurse's aide for the disabled and the elderly in private homes. Again, no background checks, apparently? No, it was a different time. In 1961, Axel and Dorothea, uh, Axel had Dorothea committed to DeWitt State Hospital after a pattern of binge drinking, lying, criminal behavior, and several suicide attempts. While in the hospital, doctors diagnosed her as a pathological liar with an unstable personality. Axel and Dorothea divorced in 1966, although she would continue using the surname Johansson for some time after. I think I said Johnson, I apologize. I'm gonna go back and correct. His name is Axel Johansson, forgive me. I'm not actually going back, I'm just telling you. <laughs> we're, we're verbally going back. Yes. Um, she began using the name Sharon Johansson and pretending to be a kind Christian woman, all while hiding her past. She also presented herself as a caregiver, which we know she's not maternal, she's not a caregiver. Mm -hmm. So she 
pretends to be a caregiver and she provides young women with a sanctuary from poverty and abuse without a fee. Seems like maybe she's, you know, she's turned a leaf. She's coming around the corner. Yeah. Mm. This is this is the do, the do-gooder part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dorothea didn't wait long before finding mm, love again. She married Robert, Roberto Jose Puente, 19 years her junior in 1966. I think some people might be piecing this together now. The couple didn't last long. They separated after 16 months. Dorothea stated that there was domestic abuse and that was the main reason for their separation. In 1967, she tried to serve Roberto with divorce papers, but he up and bounced out to Mexico. Ooh. He's like, holler. You can't divorce me. I'm leaving. <laughs> Catch like uh, the movie. Catch me if you can. Yeah. So the pair's relationship remained volatile with Dorothea filing a restraining order in 1975, two years after they divorced in 1973. Dorothea, just like she had the last time, would continue using the surname Puente. After her divorce from Roberto, Dorothea would concentrate on running a boarding house at 21st and F Streets. The address was 14. 26 f street in sacramento she began to like entrench herself in the community she became like the resource the go-to for for aid for like alcoholics the homeless mentally ill she would even hold aa meetings and and she would even assist people in signing up for social security benefits again seems like okay maybe she's she turned the corner and she's you know doing good she worked and uh, she changed her persona into a respected matronly type. She even began wearing vintage clothing and oversized granny glasses. And she let her hair go gray. So basically she turned into the lady that owns Tweety. Yes, basically. Yes. I mean, because who doesn't trust a grandma? Like, seriously, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, look at the grandma. I mean, everybody loves a grandma. It was always Sylvester that was up to stuff. (laughs) She also ingrained herself into Sacramento's uh, Hispanic Latin community, Latin community by funding charities, scholarships, and radio programs. So Dorothea would marry again at the age of 47. This is husband number four, Pedro, Pedro Angel Montalvo. They marry in 1976. Pedro an abusive alcoholic left Dorothea shortly after they wed. And when I say shortly, I I mean shortly. It was like a couple of weeks. That same year, Dorothea began going to bars and picking up men. Mind you, she's still presenting herself to the community as this like matronly grandma. But she's going life. at 47, by the way. And hey. love on. knows no age. <laughs> I'm saying like presenting herself as his grandma at 47. Oh, that yeah, that's young to be a grandma. I gotcha, gotcha. So she she begins going to bars and she'd pick up men and then she would get them to trust her and she would steal their benefit checks. She'd Ooh. forge their signature and cash them. So in 1978, this is this catches up with her. She's caught and she's charged and convicted of illegally cashing 30 
four state and federal checks. Dang. Her game was strong. Okay. Yeah. It's like I a mean, lot of checks. Yeah. I'd I mean, be too nervous to do so like one. 34 benefit checks, but that doesn't mean that they were 34 unique checks. No, but even yeah. still, that's yeah. a lot of checks. Like that's a lot of checks. They only come once a month. That's 34 months. That's almost three years worth of checks, even if it was like all in one year. That's still- Seriously, that's that's some serious cash. So she's caught and convicted and she's given five years probation in order to pay back $4,000 in restitution. Guess how she gets that $4,000? Uh, somebody else's benefit check? Yeah, yeah. Oh. She's, she's stealing more checks. So I guess there comes a point where fraud and brothel running... Mm, not quite enough of a thrill anymore. Uh, oh, so, so yeah. she escalates. Mm-hmm. In April of 1982, 61-year-old Ruth Monroe, who was Dorothea's friend and business partner in a catering business, rents a space in Dorothea's upstairs apartment. Not long after that, Ruth apparently has an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. It's a weird combo. Mm. Dorothea tells police that Ruth was depressed over her husband's terminal illness. The police, of course, believe this matronly grandma type Mm -hmm. with her oversized granny glasses and her gray hair. So, of course, Ruth's death is ruled a suicide. A few weeks pass and police return uh, to F Street after 74-year-old Malcolm McKenzie accused Dorothea of drugging and stealing from him. On April, excuse me, on August 18th of 1982, Dorothea is convicted on three theft charges and she's sentenced to five years in prison. So finally this chick goes to prison, okay? Yeah, finally gets caught for something. So while incarcerated i mean just because she goes to prison doesn't mean she loses the game okay because while she's incarcerated she um starts to receive letters from everson gilmouth a 77 year old retiree from oregon the two begin corresponding quite frequently so when dorothea is released from prison in 1985 after serving three of her five years Guess who picks her, meets her to pick her up? Mm. Yeah, 77, now 70, what, nine, Everson. Meets Dorothea and picks her up driving a red 1980 Ford pickup truck. Their relationship grows quick and the couple plan a wedding and even open a joint bank account. Yeah, that's quick. In November of 1985, Dorothea hired a handyman named Ismael Flores to install wood paneling in her apartment. Dorothea gave him $800 for his labor, and she gave him Everson's red pickup truck, stating that her boyfriend no longer needed it. She says the reason that he didn't need it was because he was in Los Angeles, because who drives in Los Angeles, right? I mean, not like they have gridlock traffic there because of all the traffic and cars but you know who drives in la it's a it's a city famous for its walkability right yeah i'm thinking something a bit more nefarious but we shall see 
So Dorothea hires Ismael for another job. She asks him to build a six foot by three foot by two foot box. She, uh yeah, she says she plans to use it to store books and quote other items in it. Dorothea's jobs for Ismail not quite done just yet. She then asks him to help transport this six foot by three foot by two foot box that's sealed now to a storage depot. Ismail, sure, okay. You know, sweet Ismail. He doesn't think anything of it. Well, while en route to the storage depot, Dorothea tells Ismail to stop and pull over They're on Garden Highway in Sutter County, California. Instead of going to the depot, she says, just drop this junk on the riverbank. Okay. So this spot actually had become an unofficial dump site for household items. Mind you, she had him build this case because she wanted to hold books, but now it's junk. Mm -hmm. Something doesn't say much for his uh, craftsmanship. (laughs) something's just not sitting quite right here Dorothea on January 1st of 1986 two fishermen spot the box and call the police well not surprisingly you know true crime podcast and all and the fact that Dorothea is an evil wench um, police find inside the box the body of Everson Gilmouth so guess he wasn't in LA no, not in LA. Did, but he didn't need his car anymore. That's true. He, he didn't. Initially, because of the state of decomposition, they were unable to identify Everson's body. Dorothea continues to collect Everson's pension and even wrote letters to his family. In those letters, she stated that he'd not been in contact with them himself because he was ill. I'm sorry, but here's my thing. And maybe this is because I've I've seen too many documentaries and movies and and listened to too many podcasts and done an episode of two of our own. Um, If somebody is ever writing for a family member or a friend and they're like, oh, they can't contact you because they're sick. Nah, mm -mm. nope, no, I don't believe it. Yeah, nowadays it'd be like, they would would you even know because they could just be texting. Yeah, but I'm going to be like, jump on Zoom. I need to see them. FaceTime me. They might be asleep. That's fine nudge them let me know i'm let me make sure they're breathing (laughs) hold the phone under them so i can see it fog up (laughs) i'm gonna need proof of life on this zoom call (laughs) no i need you to hold up a a newspaper from today i need to make sure this is recent yeah so everson's body wouldn't actually be identified for another few years not until 1988 so dorothea continues to run the boarding house taking in 40 new tenants. Yeah, four zero. Her tenants were mostly elderly and disabled. She was really popular with the local social workers because she would take in the, quote, tough cases, including addicts and abusive tenants. She would collect the tenants' uh, mail before they had a chance to get to it, and she would keep those their social security checks. She would then pay the tenants out stipends and keep the rest for expenses as she said yeah taking her her cut Mm -hmm. she was getting more than five thousand dollars each month 
In February of 1987, Lena Carpenter, who was 78 years old, was placed in Dorothea's care. Lena, never seen again. In July of 1987, James Gallup, who was 62, was also placed in Dorothea's care, and he too was never seen again. But like nobody's catching on. Like nobody is catching on. Yeah, they're all like, oh, well, I'm sure those people, these old people will turn up eventually. Or it just goes to show that like people were just trying to get rid of their elderly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in October of 1987, 62-year-old Vera Martin is placed in Dorothea's care. She exposes Dorothea and the story ends and we're done. Oh. That's the end of the um, B-side. No, I'm just kidding. Almost as anticlimactic as Max Payne. <laughs> no, not kidding. Not really. Nice. Uh, again, she's never seen again. Finally, people start getting suspicious when a homeless alcoholic man known as Chief that Dorothea had used as a handyman disappeared. He disappears after digging up the basement of Dorothea's apartment and hauling away the soil. The basement floor was then covered with a concrete slab. Dorothea also had Chief dig up her backyard. A concrete slab appeared shortly after his disappearance. And also in 1988, Brenda Trujillo, who had um, had been in prison with Dorothea, lived in her building and complained to police that Dorothea had um, drugged her and tried to cash her checks. In February of 1988, Bert Montoya, who was 52, moved into Dorothea's building. Well, Albert his real name, Albert Burt, mm-hmm. was developmentally disabled with schizophrenia. Remember, social workers loved her because she would take the, quote, tough cases. So yep. Dorothea, as with the others, took over Burt's affairs. In November of 1988, Burt's social worker, uh, Judy Moyce, filed a missing persons report after he failed to show for meetings, which was extremely unlike him. Police go to Dorothea's to check on him and were given a note that he had left. They returned later with a search warrant after noticing some soil that had been disrupted on the property. Hmm. With that search warrant, they find, you remember the case of um, the, the case we did a couple weeks ago where they don't find anything, the police... They completely botched the job and they don't find, I'm just kidding. They, they do. They actually find stuff this time. They discover seven bodies, the bodies of Lena Carpenter, Leona Carpenter, Bert Montoya, Betty Palmer, um, Betty's head and hands and lower limbs were missing. Of course, this kicked off an investigation and Dorothea, not even a suspect initially. (laughs) How did all these bodies get in my yard? That's right. so weird. I don't know, officer, where they all came from. So these she darn was, people putting they bodies just in my yard. Buried themselves in my yard. I don't know. I'm just a sweet grandma. I don't really go in the back much. <laughs> so police even allow her to leave the property to go well, buy a cup of coffee. Oh. She leaves. To buy this cup of coffee, she flees the area and she goes to Los Angeles where she ends up at a bar and begins talking to an elderly pensioner as Donna Johnson. 
this man that she began talking to, his name, Charles Wilgraves, and he recognizes Dorothea from the news. So Charles is pretty sly because without her even noticing, he keeps her talking, he engages with her, and without her knowing, he notifies police and CBS. He's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to make sure everybody knows. (laughs) So police and CBS are notified. She's apprehended. She's arraigned without bail. In June of 1990, Dorothea was charged with a total of nine murders. Everson Gilmouth, who once identified, his autopsy results found traces of fluazepam, which is a sedative. Uh, They found that in his system. Ruth Monroe, Leona Carpenter, Alberta Montoya, Dorothy Miller, who was 64, Benjamin Fink, 55, James Gallup, Vera Faye Martin, who was 64, and Betty Palmer. According to police reports, most of her victims had died by overdose. Dorothea then wrapped them in bed sheets and plastic lining and buried them in the backyard. It was also discovered that Dorothea had cashed over 60 social security checks of her tenants after their deaths, and multiple fluazepam prescriptions were found in her house. Preliminary hearings began in April of 1990. A change of venue motion was filed by Dorothea's attorney, Kevin Climo and Peter Vlotten III. And it was actually granted with a judge moving it to Monroe, uh, Monterey County. Trial begins February of 1993. And it went into July. Jurors then deliberated for 24 days. Dang. Before passing a note to the judge saying they were deadlocked, the judge told them to try again. They go back, they try again, and they find Dorothea guilty of three counts of murder. They remain deadlocked on six counts. Judge Michael uh, Verga was the judge. During the trial, over 130 witnesses were called by prosecutor John O'Mara. I mentioned the judge, Judge Michael Verga declares a mistrial on the six counts. Dorothea is convicted and sentenced to life without parole. She was incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. She died in prison at the age of 82. All the way until her death, she maintained that she was innocent, stating that they all died natural causes. Yeah, you naturally overdosing them. Yeah, and then I didn't want anyone to, you know, worry, so I just buried them under concrete in my backyard. Right. I mean, come on, lady. Dorothea has been featured on multiple true crime shows, including Deadly Women, A Stranger in My Home, Crime Stories, and World's Most Evil Killers. The film Evil Spirits from 1991 is loosely based on Dorothea. It stars Karen Black and Art Johnson. In 1998, Dorothea began a correspondence relationship with Shane Bugby. The end result, cooking with a serial killer. It contained a lengthy interview and a large amount of recipes and various pieces of prisoner art sent to Shane by Dorothea. That's messed up. (sighs) <sighs> Jody Pickalt references Dorothea's crime and cookbook in her book, House Rules. And 
If you would like to, you can see the home at 1426 F Street. It's part of a tour held by the Sacramento Old City Association. In 2015, the Ghost Adventures crew investigated the house based on reports of hauntings by the victims and Dorothea. Now, Adam, you remember we've talked about Quibi quite a few times, which is now owned by Roku. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I mentioned this show quite a while ago. Uh, there was a show on Quibi called Murder House Flip. Okay. In, in April of 2020, Quibi featured Dorothea's 1426 F Street home. It's actually the very first episode um, of the series. It was purchased by a young couple and renovated. And the renovation was absolutely amazing. But if you have the chance, you should watch the episode because they do talk about yeah. the crimes. In June of 2020, the house was featured in a 10-minute document uh, documentary, 60-second docs, about the purchase and renovation of the house by the current owners. And there you go. And that's the story of, uh, what do they call her? She is known as uh, Death, house Lady, uh, Death House Landlady, Dorothea Puente. Death House Landlady. She also had like five different last names. So. Right. Gray, Johansson, uh, Puente, Maltavo. Yeah. There you go. One of the worst people, one of the worst serial killers ever, in my opinion. What was her? I mean, that she was convicted of three. Mm -hmm. What and is her other... suspected total? Nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeesh. And that's, that's after years of just stealing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. and you know what the whole like the brothel thing yeah that's one of those where you know that's that's one that people debate because it's like it's a victimless crime people both people are there you know whatever but you have to think if she was taking advantage of people by stealing their checks she might have been stealing money from people while they were in in the brothel or you know yeah. whatever absolutely who knows but yeah quite the uh Quite the character right there, that Dorothea. Goodness. Mm -hmm. But there you go. So that's the B-side. I think I've, I've rented you speechless. Yeah. I, I, I also was like pausing because I wasn't sure if we needed to have an editing break. Oh, no. You're good. Yeah. Uh, I've tried to, to be better about that so we can have easier edits. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was uh, careful who you rent from. <laughs> As I just rent a brand new apartment. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, then it, like renting from a corporation's got a, it's a different danger. But I mean, like when you rent a house and somebody else lives there and you don't know that person very well, that could, that's a dicey proposition because you got like you're not only renting from them, you're kind of becoming roommates in a way, you know, at least yeah. housemates, you know? Yeah. That's a whole different, you know, ball of wax. Man, I mean, just the fact that so many people had to go missing before it was even noticed, you know, it's like, gosh. Well, and she was, she was preying on, unfortunately, people that people were trying to get rid of. You know, or wouldn't wouldn't be missed. Like she's, you said, like the 
social workers liked her because she took the difficult cases. Well, the difficult cases probably had less people looking for them. Yeah. That was a method to the madness. <sighs> it just shows that, you know, hopefully, you know, things have changed. But at that time, it just showed that the, the elderly and the, the mentally disabled were not looked after like they should have been. Yeah, it's not even that long ago. I mean, I know, I know. 80s, 90s. I mean, I guess, I guess it is as, as kids today would say the late 1900s. But. <laughs> and you just want to punch him in the face. Shut but up, also, kid. Yeah, but then I'm like, yeah, you're right. And it's kind of cool when you say it like that. But also like, oh. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. There you go. So that's another episode of A Sad B Sad podcast. Of course, sources, photos will be on our website app. Mm-hmm. Uh, A Side B Side Podcast Square Site. There you go. You can always uh, head on over to our Instagram. We post over there as well. If you have a story idea, maybe a true crime story or a movie that Adam will absolutely hate and want to rip apart again, <laughs> uh, or uh, that guy, that girl from that show. Uh, let us know. You can hit us up on all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, podcasts at gmail.com. Also, we have a YouTube. You can always check us out on YouTube. And Adam, what about Apple? What do they need to do? Uh, they could just search for us on your iTunes app, Aside Beside Podcast, and you could like and share and rate us on there. Rating is really important because that pushes up our ranking. And then we can get more listeners and we can all have more friends. And then eventually someday we can have a big convention in like Des Moines. What? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There you go. All right. Or, or any other, my only request is that when we have a convention, it has to be in a city that has two names like Des Moines, you know, San Diego, <laughs> New York. Okay. We can do that. Yeah. that that's going to be my, my absurd writer request, you know, for Mariah Carey, it was like only blue M&Ms, but I right. must, Yours must is be in a city with two Cities names. with two names. Two yeah. names. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brooke.